Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. If you had to get a double mastectomy, would you get reconstruction or not? This hour, you'll meet two women who, in an attempt to save themselves from breast cancer, had their breasts removed. One had a mutation in her BRCA2 gene and had preventive surgery. She declined getting implants. The new body, the one that's not going to kill me. I'm so excited to meet that body. The other found a cancerous lump, and after her surgery, decided to get reconstruction. I will have beautiful breasts again, but they won't be the same beautiful breasts. They spoke with me shortly before their surgeries, updated me right after, and then reflected on their choices almost a year later. I'm Kyone Wolf. That's next on Audacious, right after the news. Hey, there's a very special reason why you're hearing a rebroadcast of this show. I am so proud to say that this episode of Audacious just won a Gracie Award. The Gracie Awards are part of the Alliance for Women in Media Foundation, and they recognize exemplary programming created by women, for women, and about women in all facets of media and entertainment. This award in the radio talk show category means a lot to me, and I'd like to thank my team at Connecticut Public including Jessica Severin Martinez and executive producer Katie Talarski for saying yes to this idea. And profound thanks to Sarah Eyre and Jennifer LaRue. As you'll hear, they didn't hold anything back over the course of the year that I followed their stories. And I hope I know that their experiences bring comfort and understanding to everyone who hears them. So thanks for listening. Here we go. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Imagine you've got breasts. It shouldn't be too hard to imagine because most every human being has them, and that means that most of us are candidates for breast cancer. There are risk factors that may increase the likelihood you'll get it. According to the CDC, women are far more likely than men. Family history and getting older increases the possibility too. So do breast density and genetic mutations. This hour, we're going to hear some very intimate conversations with two women who go through the process of getting a double mastectomy, the removal of all the breast tissue. One decides to get reconstruction, and one doesn't. I talked to them before the surgery, right after, and then almost a year later. I wanted to find out what it was like dealing with the prospect of a cancer diagnosis, or an actual one, and what it was like losing a part of their body. In 2013, actress Angelina Jolie wrote a New York Times op-ed about her decision to have a preventive double mastectomy because of a mutation in her BRCA1 gene. According to the National Cancer Institute, about 72% of women who inherit a BRCA1 mutation and about 69% of women who inherit a BRCA2 mutation will develop breast cancer by the age of 80. Since the mid-90s, when the gene mutation was discovered, many women have opted for a preventive or prophylactic double mastectomy, surgery to remove all the breast tissue, and ideally, all the potential risk for breast cancer. Sarah Eyre is a 43-year-old Willimantic-based textile artist. She had the BRCA2 gene, and after two years, decided to go for the preventive mastectomy. 
We recorded this conversation in her living room in July of 2019, one week before she went in for surgery. Here's how she found out that she needed to get tested for the BRCA gene in the first place. So um, the summer of 2017, I met up with my half-sister for coffee and she let me know that my, that our biological mother had, um, had had a, a test, a genetic test, and that she had come up positive for the BRCA2 gene. There are different genes. So the one that my mother carries gives us, it's something like a 20 to 25% higher chance of having ovarian cancer, which is pretty upsetting because you don't find out yeah. you have ovarian cancer until it's pretty far along. And something in the neighborhood of 70 to 80% of a chance of, of having breast cancer if you have the gene. If you're a direct descendant of someone who has the gene, you've got a 50-50 chance of inheriting the gene. So big news for my sister, 2017. How did that feel? <sighs> you know, it sounds like it's just bad, right? It sounds like, oh, wow, that's horrible. But it was an answer uh, to this question that had been in our family for a really long time. My mom had had problems in her early 20s, um, uterine, and my grandmother had lost both of her breasts to breast cancer. She had had um, other issues with cancer, um, and it had taken her life. Um, And I had grown up watching that, my great-grandmother as well. And so I had spent my entire life being told you need to watch out for cancer. You need to make sure that all your doctors are aware of our family history. And, and you know, in the 2000s, you, you heard about the BRCA genes. And so hearing finally that the boogeyman in my closet was real, had a name, and there was a plan. It was amazing. I mean, I didn't want to come up BRCA positive, but if I did, it was like having a plan. There was something you could do. And so what happened next? I immediately called my doctor like that. And I was with a genetic counselor, I think within a week and a half. She called me back in and I I sat down with this wonderful woman and she explained to me that I was positive, that it meant this percentage of risk here, this percentage of risk here, that I had also um, risks for for melanoma and colon cancer and things I, I didn't even know to expect. And then she let me know that insurance would cover an awful lot of procedures to make me feel safer and to, to probably be safer, let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point, I immediately made plans for an oophorectomy, which is when you have your ovaries removed. And it's been a huge relief. I was rapidly thrown into menopause. That's an adventure. I sweat a lot, mm. like so much. Um, it's remarkable. But I don't worry about ovarian cancer anymore. And that feels like freedom. When you found out that you had the BRCA gene. Yeah. And you had to make this decision to have the double mastectomy. And then to consider whether or not you would have reconstructive surgery. Yeah. that Those were some big decisions. Now, these are old things you wrote in your blog that I'm going to ask you about. Okay, cool. When it comes to your breasts... You said two years ago, I keep coming back to very core concepts, though. I nursed. I hug my Mm -hmm. chest when I'm sad or scared or even just tired. Being able to run downstairs or at all bra-free might be rad, 
but I'm just not feeling it. I don't know. A mastectomy feels like the mutilation of healthy tissue. And while I know that isn't necessarily the case, I'm very unsure of it. How does it feel hearing that? I felt so ambiguous in the beginning because it happened so fast. I spent a lot of time talking to people who've had mastectomies, both due to cancer and not. And a lot of it came down to this image that I had of this as an amputation. I don't feel that way as much anymore. What changed? Hmm. I don't see them as necessary. Your boobs? No, not at all. It's always going to make me sad that my breasts, the breasts that I fed children with, they'll be gone. That sucks. Man, that sucks. Ah, oh, I have such a connection to that act and that image and that feeling. That was beautiful, cool. Now your body could do that. Awe-inspiring, yeah. Yeah, the, the body's just great. That said, that statement in there about running, that was what started to shift my mind on so much of this. Oh, wow, running without a bra, that would be rad because sports bras, they make it hard for you to breathe. And then I started thinking just like, what would it be like to not wear a bra? Okay, so once I realized I, I wouldn't have to wear a bra, <laughs> the game changed. I just stopped wearing them most of the time. <laughs> Life is great when you don't wear a bra. Like, I never minded them at all until I thought about it. And then I was like, I can't stand bras. And then I started thinking about, like, why do I have to wear one ever at all? And then I felt really goddamn oppressed. I started thinking about the ways that my body has to be proper. It has to be right. And then I was just pissed off. I was just so pissed off. My body has to be right in 101 different ways. And so much of that has to do with my breasts. And I don't like it. And when I was getting ready to do the mastectomy, and I'm not mad at my doctors about this at all, at all. But there was just this default assumption that I would want reconstruction. Most of the people that I know who've had this have had some form of reconstruction, and that's fine. That's great. But I wasn't sure why I would want it. So now I'm spending a lot of time, I feel like I'm nesting for my mastectomy. I'm on these Facebook sewing groups and um, talking to all my friends who like, that's what I do, I'm a textile artist. And we're like planning, what will my new body look like? A lot of people who do this thing going flat, they'll try to, you know, wear clothes that kind of fill in the space or, or they'll, you know, wear breast forms. And that's fine too. I'm not interested in that because again, no bras. But this new silhouette is so fascinating to me. And I, I, I can't really do anything with it, right? Because I don't have my measurements and I have to wait till everything settles. But I'm so excited about the clothing that I can make, the new body that I'm going to have that will have nothing to do with the body I've had before. Do you know what I mean? Surgery itself is terrifying, but this, this part, the new body, the one that's not going to kill me, the one where I don't have to worry about dying at 65. <laughs> I'm so excited to meet that body. And I'm gonna be able to walk around without my shirt on. Like that's another big part. That's okay? hard to wrap my head around. To just be able to, like another human being, mm. just oh, another human being, okay, uh. basically, a male human being. What would that feel like to go on a run? Or just, it's a beautiful day outside today. 
let me sit in a chair with my shirt off. And... But let me be on Facebook or Instagram, by the way. Because if the problem is always female nipples, what if you have no nipples? Yeah, what then? <laughs> no problem. Like, no nipples, no problem, baby. <laughs> I love it. And I'm really excited about that. Again, this new body. And the thing about this new body that's been kind of scrubbed clean of this female indicator that it's dirty or wrong or somehow shameful it opens all these new doors for me too. Like, this is just my body. You You can't can't have a problem with it. Yeah, (laughs) it makes me angry to an extent that I I have to go through this horrible traumatic experience to have this new, fun, frisky body that no one can say no to. But also, hey, you know what? I have to go through this horrible traumatic experience. Yours. Benny's. (laughs) (laughs) Benny's. Benny's. That was Sarah just one week before her surgery. We met in her living room again two days after she got home, and I asked her how she was, physically and emotionally. Oh, wow. Um, Physically, I feel really pretty okay. I feel emotionally confused. I really had it very built up in my mind as that it was going to be this like big physical endeavor. Um. I feel physically like I did a very inadvisable number of pull-ups. <laughs> um, the pain is pretty much centralized to the front of my chest, and it's muscle in nature. That's what it feels like. It feels like it feels like it's in my pecs. They feel bruised, but like the home nurse was over just a little bit before this. And, you know, we took all the wrappings off, all the bandages off, and, you know, she was checking my drains. And it's funny, the the actual sensation is both extreme ticklishness and numbness. So there isn't much incision pain at all. And I, I guess I expected a lot more. But I'm really refreshed at how not a big deal it is. Physically and mentally at this point? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's pretty great. Um, I've gotten to see my incisions twice now. Can you describe them? I can. So they go down diagonally, as opposed to, I think, what a lot of folks expect would be straight across. And I knew to expect that from things I'd looked up online. Right now, they're kind of this reddish-black color because they're full of stitches. The thing I've been looking for is, is how tidy do they look, and they look nice and tidy. Yeah, I just wanted a scar that was, I mean, obviously going to be incredibly badass, but <laughs> it's going to be pretty badass. No, no, these these are very badass. <laughs> but like, I wanted it to be kind of symmetrical and clean. Yeah. And they are. It's what a... was it like the first time you saw your bare chest? Was any of it a surprise to you? Like, I knew what to expect in general, because I'd spent a lot of time online but this is you. I know, right? I, it sounds so vain, but I felt really pleased. Just like, oh, that's cute. Which I didn't expect. What did you expect? I don't know. Not that's cute. <laughs> um, I'm still a little bruised. There are a couple, you know, there's some swelling and what have you. The drains are just very medical. And this is not something that you see. You know, like, 
you don't see this kind of body anywhere. You don't you don't see it on the street. You don't see it in magazines. You don't see it in movies. So you're never taught to see it like, oh, that's cute. But I, I, I kind of liked it. I want to say I'm staring at your breasts, but... You're not. I'm not staring at your breasts. Yeah, and feel free. It's very different. I'm getting used to it. I can't really tell a lot because I have these drains. But yeah, this is a very different outline. And you know, I remember the first time I saw someone, Tignataro, my initial reaction, which I'm ashamed of, was it, it wasn't revulsion, it was shock and a little bit of horror. I just thought, her torso is so long. Mm-hmm. Which it is. She has a very long torso. And she is a comedian who famously had a set where she had just found out that day or oh, something yeah. that she had breast cancer. And she'd also had a lot of other trauma going on in her life. And she did this famous set where she talked about the realities of this. Of course, it was very funny, but it was also very difficult to hear and intriguing and heartbreaking and totally heartwarming. And since then she's had the double mastectomy Mm -hmm. and she's gone on to do wonderful things. Some of which include talking about this Mm -hmm. and some of which have nothing to do with this, you know, because it's life. Uh, So when you saw her post-surgery, it hit you a certain way. It did. It was very surprising. Um, I think she was the first time I had seen a, post-mastectomy body and I wasn't expecting to see it um where did you see it was it it was one of her performances it was the performance where she takes off her shirt oh I didn't see that one oh it's oh it's stunning it's genius it's so good whoa yeah no she's she's just on fire but I was distracted by just the reality of her body which I think is part of what she's doing and then I was just fascinated and I've gone back to that moment over and over again. And I think, and it was, it was huge seeing that, seeing her. Did you see this as you were going in these last two years of de- deliberations? And I did. Sitting with this? Wow. I did. And so to have that kind of unexpectedly happen and be like, oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, and in the context of a comedian. <laughs> oh, but of someone I really, really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very surprising because that's not. It's not a kind of body that you see. I feel like I see so many different types of bodies, but never this. But it, it started giving me a, like a baseline. But it was. It was very surprising. And I, I don't take offense if you're drawn to looking, yeah. especially in the beginning. I, I kind of expect everyone to be kind of like, okay, what's... There it is. Or isn't. <laughs> there it isn't. There they aren't. Yeah. Because I'm certainly fascinated. I'm absolutely fascinated by what this looks like and feels like and so i I and doesn't feel like right so i can't blame other people if they're like staring i am sure that i will get tired of it soon but also i think it'll be a lot less recognizable in a little while was Sarah Eyre in July of 2019 before and after her double mastectomy, which she had after finding out that she was positive for BRCA2, a gene mutation that means that she's got a higher risk for breast cancer. You'll hear her reflections almost a year later in the final segment of the show. 
Next, you'll meet Jennifer LaRue, who found a lump in her breast, and after her double mastectomy in September of 2019, opted for reconstruction. After the break, hear her thoughts right before and right after the big surgery. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. In the last segment, you met Sarah Eyre, a textile artist in Willimantic, who, after coming back positive for BRCA2, had a double mastectomy. She opted out of reconstruction. Now meet 59-year-old Jennifer LaRue. She's a freelance writer and the director of public programs at the Mark Twain House and Museum in Hartford. When she found a lump in her breast, she decided to have them both removed. And she opted for reconstructive surgery. We had this conversation two days before her double mastectomy in September of 2019, and I asked her when she knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong early this summer, and I kept an eye on it. My nipple on the left side seemed a little weird. I had a little um, cyst in the nipple, and my doctor had said, well, it's just a clogged milk duct, which milk duct? A clogged milk duct. See, some people say milk milk (laughs) duct. (laughs) (laughs) It was a clogged milk duct. Nailed it. But then it began to seem different and look different, and I kept an eye on it. And then I'm ashamed to say this, but what really spurred me to go and get it checked out was the fact that my insurance was switching over and I was going to face a new really high deductible. So I thought I better get all my screening tests done before that happened. So I went and got a 3D digital mammogram and an ultrasound, and they confirmed that I had some kind of little growth underneath my left nipple. They didn't know what it was, so I had to go have a biopsy. What was that like? Hurt like hell. You can swear. It hurt like fucking hell. So when you got the results? Well, so I was in a staff meeting at the Mark Twain house where I work, and the phone call came in. I excused myself and went out to my car to talk to the doctor, and she confirmed that I, in fact, had breast cancer. And this was not something I didn't expect, because my mother had had breast cancer or something like it. Whatever she had about 50 years ago when I was a child, uh, she had a radical mastectomy, and they actually never confirmed that she had had breast cancer. What's a radical mastectomy? Radical mastectomy is when they remove not only the breast tissue and the entire breast, but also the entire raft of lymph nodes attached to that side of the body. So it was like a huge cave dug out of her body. And there was no reconstruction done at that time. So she just had this big ragged hole on her body. And so knowing that my mother had had something that was deemed to be breast cancer, though never confirmed to be breast cancer, I was just always waiting for that shoe to drop. And so when the shoe dropped, I was actually grateful because it dropped so gently. I was told that the tumor that they had found, well, I had found that they had analyzed was small, found very early, and as they described it, very gentle. And so it was not an aggressive cancer. So that that was all relatively good news because I had always figured I'm going to get breast cancer one time or another, and this is the kind you get, apparently. So what's next? I will have both of my breasts removed, and my left nipple particularly will be removed because the tumor is attached to the underside of that nipple. 
then the plastic surgeon will go in and put the expanders in. Tell me about the expanders. So the expanders um, go in to expand or stretch the skin on your breasts because they have to make room for the final implants to go in somewhere down the road. And so, you know, your breasts would just kind of shrink and just be there unless you were continually stretching the skin. So after the doctors, a certain staff of doctors are there to remove the nipples and the breast tissue, a different set of doctors comes in for the reconstruction. It's it's actually awesome because my two doctors work together all the time. Cool. They're like a team. So uh, Dr. Eisenberg and Dr. DeLucia, they're like, you know, Laurel and Hardy or whoever. <laughs> but they were very, I mean, they're both lovely, really friendly, really funny people. And so they're a well-oiled machine. Um, Dr. Eisenberg is going to cut away all the tissue, the breast tissue. And Dr. Delucia is going to move right in and put those expanders in and um, what, sew me back up. As far as you know, what is it going to feel like with the expanders in and how long until they can take the next step. Most of the time the expanders have to be implanted underneath the muscle in your chest cavity so um, that's a little bit firmer and it's gonna hurt and everybody says it hurts and I'm um, I am committed to trying my best to not take any opiates Oh, and also, we talked about nipples. I'm only losing my left nipple. I'm actually preserving my right nipple. Gotcha. And I'm really glad about that because I like my little nipples. <laughs> yeah. Will they be able to take your remaining nipple as an inspiration for the replacement nipple? And how does a replacement nipple, if that's the right word for it, how do they make those? Well, that's a little bit sad to me. So, no, um, the replacement nipple will be a mere shadow of the original nipple because it's really just a tattoo. Down the line, after my reconstruction is complete, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, but I will go to a tattoo artist who specializes in 3D nipple replication and get a nipple that kind of sort of looks like my other nipple. So it'll be maybe like a template or a, a blank spot? for a nipple to be tattooed later? No, well, what I, I'm just going to come across come out of this with an incision across my breast. And that, um, again, because they have to take the nipple off, there's just going to be an incision that's been closed up there. So it's going to be this kind of blank canvas, but not a very perfect canvas. I'm considering doing something other than trying to replicate a nipple look. One thing I've talked about and thought about is I'm from Maryland. I love Maryland. The Maryland state flower is the black-eyed Susan, and I'm thinking of having a little black-eyed Susan tattooed there rather than a nipple-looking thing that really is never going to look exactly like a nipple. And it's also very possible that the right nipple won't survive. There's um, a... Fairly high percentage of uh, nipples that don't because what's left after the surgery is a very thin layer of fat and, and tissue and, and blood supply. And sometimes the nipple just doesn't make it. And what happens is it turns black and it falls off and you have to do something to account for that or accommodate that. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen again because it's kind of the last vestige of what I originally started out with. But... The bottom line is, if this is sparing me, you know, this bilateral mastectomy is sparing me ever having to worry about breast cancer again as long as I live. If I lose both my nipples, so be it. 
you have the decision to not have reconstructive surgery. Was there a hesitation? Did you know that reconstruction was the way you wanted to go? Or was it a hard decision? Talk me through that. I never hesitated, and I, I know that there, there are different ways to approach this. I am single for the first time in my adult life, and I'm, you know, approaching 60, and I'm not ready to not have breasts, and I'm kind of looking forward to having a new set of breasts and seeing what adventures might occur um, with them. Uh, I completely understand any decision that anybody makes on their own behalf, but for me, I, I, um, I never even thought twice. As a matter of fact, way before I ever knew I had cancer, I would sometimes think about, you know, should I just be like Angelina Jolie and just get a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy and get bigger boobs out of the deal just because. Um, so it's been something that's, and you, when you're an A cop your entire life, it, you know, sometimes you think, well, <laughs> why not? What would it be like? Hey, what would it be like? The one thing that I, I am bothered by, and um, I know every woman in my situation has to reckon with, awesome, not to have to worry about cancer, the whole thing is great, but you do lose sensation in your breasts and in your nipples. And that's going to be something to, to grapple with, and I, I, um, I will have to grapple with it. Yeah. Tomorrow night, the night before your surgery, are you anticipating that you'll have some time alone with your breasts or some sort of conversation with them or some sort yep. of moment with them? I'm or? actually kind of planning a, a little a little goodbye ritual. and makes me cry to, to even talk about it. It's, you know, um, yeah, I've, I've got a little, a little something planned just to say goodbye and thank you. Thank you, mostly. Thank you. Because they've done a good, good job for me. And I know that, you know, they're not going to feel the same anymore. And they're going to look the same. So, yeah, I'm going to say goodbye to them. Yeah. I, I do feel sad because the things that really, about my body that work the best, my eyes. I've, I've been told I have beautiful eyes. I've been told I have a beautiful smile. And I've been told I have beautiful breasts and that's been kind of the thing that has been a focus and I will have beautiful breasts again but they won't be the same beautiful breasts. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? I persist in believing that people are good and I'll tell you something like this people emerge and come up and and show how good they are people you might not even suspect could be that good or nice just rise to the occasion and so that's something I'd like to emphasize and maybe come back to once I'm a little farther down the path so here's to my boobalicious new boobs <laughs> <laughs> toast to the boobs <laughs> toast to the boobs <laughs> I sat down with Jennifer again, a little more than a week after her surgery. I asked her how she felt the night before her double mastectomy. 
the night before, I was pretty tired. I think I had talked myself out of being maudlin, but I did spend a moment bare-chested in front of the mirror in my bathroom and showed my boobs a little bit of love and thank them for all the good work they've done for me and for you know being part of my life for so long and um, they really did do a good job for me and I was grateful but one of them is in very was in very bad pain and very bad shape so um, both of them took both of them did what needed to be done and so in that respect I feel like they continued to serve me well I know I should feel a certain way, but all I feel is so happy about my place in the world that I have so many people around me that I love and who love me enough to be there for me. And I feel like I have now this big, huge event in my life pretty much behind me. And I'm feeling a lot of um, strength and optimism and joy at the thought of what's coming next. So when you got home, what were the instructions? What were you told you should definitely do, definitely not do? What did you need? I'm not allowed to lift anything uh, that weighs more than 10 pounds, which they told me is about this, uh, the weight of a gallon of milk. So that's pretty easy to comply with, except my dog weighs something like 15 pounds. Mm. So that's been a little bit of trickiness, and I might have broken the rules a time or two. Other things, not allowed to lift your hands over shoulder height. So you have to lift each of your arms out to the side 10 times, and then you have to do 10 bicep curls, and then you have to lift your arms straight out in front of you 10 times as well. And you need to do that three times a day. And they just trust you to do that? They're counting on you to do that. No, it's really super important. In fact, this is one of the things that my friend Rachel told me before my surgery was make sure you start lifting your arms as soon as you can because they kind of get stuck in place if you don't. So I've been all about moving the arms. I probably do it more than the three times a day that they told me to do. And it's also very, very humbling to have been an able-bodied person and suddenly reduced to, you know, doing 10 bicep curls with no weight in your hand. So it, it's humbling and also makes you very, again, I, I know I keep coming back to this, but just so grateful for our bodies and what they can do for us. And how quickly Amazing. they can heal. Oh my God, I can't believe this. Okay, well, I'll tell you a story. So the cancer, the tumor was in my left breast uh, under the nipple. And um, they always, when they're removing a breast, uh, they'll check the sentinel lymph node. And if they find that cancer is in that sentinel lymph node, they will take additional lymph nodes and send them out to be tested. And so everybody was pretty surprised when we found that I did have a tiny, tiny, tiny little drop of cancer in that sentinel lymph node. And so when the surgeon and I spoke right after my surgery, um, he said he had to take out a number of other lymph nodes from under my arm. And the happy news is that the, the testing came back and none of those additional lymph nodes had any cancer in them whatsoever. And the little bit that was in the sentinel was just very, very minor minuscule. So I'm not sure what next steps are, but I started to tell you the story by way of saying so I had a different surgery on my left side than my right because no lymph nodes were removed on my right side. And so my left arm is going to behave a little bit differently. So if you hadn't had this surgery and they hadn't noticed that it had just barely started going up into your lymph nodes on the side of your body that it was originally 
that's scary, right? That that means it was on its way towards spreading into the rest of your body. I hadn't thought about it that way. You're welcome. Thanks. Great. Well, I can help. <laughs> well, you know, it surprised everybody because everybody who talked about this tumor before it was removed described it as it being a very gentle cancer, very gentle, not aggressive. So everybody was surprised that this gentle cancer had made any effort to reach out whatsoever. And so cancer, <laughs> cancer is a wily creature. Yeah. So the first part of the surgery, they removed tissue. And the second big section of it was inserting the expanders. Correct. So now they're in there. Are they full of anything or are they totally deflated at this point? They must be full of something because, I mean, look at me. You, you do have some bust. I do have a tiny bit of bust there. Mm -hmm. And so that's not me because they took out every ounce of breast tissue because they have to make sure that they got every cancer cell. The big stuff is behind me, but every week I'm going to endure a bunch of discomfort at least um, until this process is done. And then, of course, it, when all that's done, at some point down the road, he'll take me back in and it's not even an overnight stay. They just open you back up and put your boobs in. And um, I think he does more to, you know, kind of make the incision sites look less scar tissue-y. And then sometime down the road after that, I'll get my tattooed nipples, my 3D tattooed nipples. When you first saw your chest bare after surgery, what was that like? Uh, not anywhere near as upsetting as I had imagined it would be. I knew that I was losing my nipples and, you know, so that was a little hard to get used to. And, of course, there are long incisions. So it's not just the absence of nipple. It's the presence of incision as well. But I remember looking down and seeing that the skin you know, on my chest looked just the way it did before. And I still have a little bit of my summertime tan left. And because he put the expanders in, I do have a little bit of breast mound. And I looked down and I thought, this is all going to be okay. This is all going to be okay. That was Jennifer LaRue in September of 2019. Next, I recently caught up with Sarah and Jennifer. It's been almost a year after their double mastectomies. So how do they feel? Any regrets? Find out after the break. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. You've been hearing from Sarah Eyre and Jennifer LaRue, two women who had double mastectomies. Jennifer opted for reconstruction, and Sarah did not. I spoke with each of them before and after their surgeries, and I caught up with both of them this month, almost a year down the line. Jennifer had a cancerous lump behind one of her nipples, and the night before she had both of her breasts removed, she told me that she spent some time topless in front of a mirror, thanking them. I asked her if she still thinks about her breasts. Not often, but I do, <laughs> I had really nice nipples. They were really, really nice nipples. And I do miss my nipples. And I, you know, I took pictures of them. So I always can remember what they were like. And they also were nipples with, with which I fed both of my babies until they were, you know, 15 and 18 months old. And I'm so, again, grateful for their service. But I, I do miss them. But it's not the kind of thing I dwell on a lot. Now, I miss the old 
ones a little bit more when I'm being intimate with somebody, but thus far, it has not been an issue. When you are being intimate with somebody, do they always know beforehand that you've had this surgery? Yep. And some women feel otherwise. And I know some women actually kind of grow into uh, a different uh, mindset about this, but I don't think that's the kind of thing you want to spring on somebody unprepared. And honestly, I'm not sure I wanted to see the look on anybody's face uh, if they you know, saw that as a surprise to them. It's not really fair to them because I'm sure they would, it would be shocking or, or there must be some reaction unless they are superhuman. But this is intimacy, you know, like if you're going to be intimate with someone, you should be intimate with someone and let them know. Yeah. Has it affected the pleasure of being intimate with someone? In the in a good way, actually. Uh, and I've, I've talked to other women who've been through this. Uh, when you lose a sensation in your nipples, for instance, something compensates and you experience greater sensation elsewhere. And I have found that to be actually true in a very gratifying (laughs) silver lining kind of way. Yeah. It hasn't quite been a year since that surgery. It's been about 10 months, but I asked you when we talked after your surgery to send you a year in the future, a message. And here's what you said. So a year from now, I want to be able to tell myself, wow, you made a lot of really good decisions and you connected with the universe and the people around you in such a way that your life has really fallen into place in exactly the way you hoped but never could allow yourself to imagine it really would. This might sound a little self-aggrandizing, but I would also tell myself a year from now, to remember that I'm an example and I'm trying to set an example for other people about how you can be in certain circumstances you can be stronger than you thought you can have more sense of humor than you thought you can surrender to the loving forces being aimed at you a lot more than you ever thought you could so I hope I'll take time to pause and think about those things too so how did that go? All right, first of all, that made me cry (laughs) to hear that. Second of all, I'm really grateful that that is what I said because uh, I've been reading and thinking and learning a lot about affirmations and putting messages out into the universe uh, and trusting that what you put out there is actually going to be realized. And that's the best example I can think of because every single thing that I said to my future self has come to be and particularly the strength and the sense of humor and well everything everything about it so glad to hear that (laughs) thank you for that see i don't cry a lot about this (laughs) at your service (laughs) (laughs) that was jennifer larue freelance writer and the director of public programs at the mark twain house and museum in hartford you can see her writing at jennifergalelarue.com. It's also been almost a year since Sarah Ayer's surgery. Earlier in the show, we heard about her decision to have a double mastectomy after finding out she had the BRCA2 gene, which increased the likelihood she'd get breast cancer. She opted out of reconstruction. I asked her if she could, how would she sum up how it's felt to be without her breasts? It's been a relief. <laughs> and there's been this, this lightness... I immediately felt 
this sense of possibility. I had had this feeling that like cancer was just waiting for me, waiting for me, waiting for me, especially as middle age approached. And so just having that confirmation and having these surgeries, it felt like, felt like getting a death sentence lifted. I've realized that I've been living my life as though I might not see past 60. And I don't feel like I have to do that anymore. <laughs> and I am just so excited. It has completely shifted so many of my priorities. Like the long term, I very much want to just plan out how I'm going to shovel life into my mouth. We had talked previously about how now you can go topless without the same kind of fears that you may have had about going topless in public otherwise. So tell me about keeping your shirt off. You can't keep a shirt on me now. <laughs> Will you tell me about the first time that you did it? So I did it immediately after surgery. Once the bandages had come off, I really wanted to know. I wanted to know what it felt like <laughs> when I wasn't afraid of somebody coming up and being horrible about it. Um, so I, I went up to Bigelow State Park out in the woods because I just, oh man, I love being out in the woods, which was probably a terrible idea because Lyme disease is a real thing. <laughs> so I went out and I just risked Lyme disease and I just sat on my car hood and I took my shirt off uh, next to a river and just sat there and it felt stunning. Like I actually felt stunned. Just, this is something I can do. <laughs> I took a picture, like this is something I can do. This is something I did. I stayed kind of in the shade. I don't know why I was so afraid, like that I could hurt my incisions somehow. Uh, I got mosquito bitten to hell. It was great because <laughs> I had proof I was there. And ever since then, if I have the opportunity, <laughs> I pretty much do. <laughs> I'd ask you to send a message to yourself a year from now. And this is what you said. I'm doing this thing, this big scary thing. With the hopes that it's going to grant me more time. Like a lot more time. In a year, I'd like myself to not be wasting my time. I'd like to be doing the things that matter to me without inhibition. I'd like to be talking more about the things that I've been thinking about lately. Bodies. Why they're important, why they aren't. What does and doesn't matter about them. And I really, really hope that I'm taking advantage of this new form. I'm so excited to see it and meet it. I intend to have it out in the world in a very active and participatory way. I want the tit-free, fear-free Sarah to be very out there, running so much without bras. Oh, God. Yeah, I want a year from me, a year from now me, to be fear-free. That's what I'm looking for. So hey, me, a year from now, 
if you're still wasting your time being afraid and doing things you, you really don't have time for, you've screwed it up. Start fresh. There's always time to start fresh. So how did you do? I really, really buffed it on the being out in the world part. <laughs> well, I mean, COVID. We didn't I mean, see it coming. <laughs> I think, though, I feel pretty good about the rest of it. I really do. I really actively love this body. I'm still surprised by how much and how deeply and how passionately and how protective I feel about this body. It's been a way to reclaim something that never felt like it was mine. What would you say to yourself the night before your surgery, knowing all you know now? Oh, the surgery itself is just not such as, it's just not as bad as you think it is. Anesthesia works. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Horace Wells. Every time anesthesia is just the blessing it's going to be. Outside of that, Oh God, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. Just run right into it. It's exactly as great as you think it's gonna be and just a little bit better. It's so good when they're gone. <laughs> and every person who ever said they were great, they can have them. Oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> oh the sense that I was always supposed to have these things is wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. They're, they were always wrong. I never wanted them and it's okay to give them up. Oh God, just go with your gut. Just go with your gut. It's so good to be free. Huh. That was Willemantic-based textile artist, Sarah Eyre. You can find her at patreon.com slash Sarah Eyre. That's Sarah with an H-E-Y-R-E. The American Cancer Society says women should begin having yearly mammograms by age 45 and every other year beginning at age 55. But there may be a lot more to it than that, so we'll have more information on risk factors, breast self-exams, and BRCA mutations at our webpage. Audacious is produced by me and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. You can find more information and subscribe to our show at ctpublic.org audacious. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kion Wolf. And if breast cancer has affected your life, I really want to hear your thoughts. My email is cwolf at ctpublic.org. And online, use the hashtag audaciouspublic. Thanks for listening. <laughs>